What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. This is Pete, again, doing a solo one today. Unfortunately, Justin got held up at work, but he'll be coming at you tonight with a solo episode of his own where he'll be talking about the migrant caravan situation going on in Tijuana near the California border. So a lot of fun stuff going on there. We're going to touch on a few other things today. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pete. I'm one of the founders of Empire State Conservative Network. And this podcast, video, our, our site, whatever it may be, it's a community and online media platform for you, a New York State-based conservative who feels neglected, by the state and local governments and ostracized by friends, family, and co-workers for having a different opinion. So we're here to bring a conservative spin on news at both, well, not just both, there's three of these areas, the local, the state, and the federal level. So I'm not going to go into anything too local today, um, mainly because there's not too much going on uh, locally that I've been able to find. So I'm going to talk about a few federal issues today. Some of the things have been in the news for a while, Others, not so much, and we'll go from there. So, for starters, we're going to talk about the Saudi Arabia situation. So, in case you've been living under a rock and you hadn't heard, uh, Saudi Arabia has been accused, you know, the CIA apparently claims uh, the president doesn't seem uh, 100% on board with their findings, but it seems the Saudi Arabian government, and particularly their crown prince, had a lot to do with the killing of journalist, um, I forget his first name, Khashoggi. Uh, obviously, it was a terrible situation, something that should have never happened, and there's a lot going on in Washington. There's been a lot of pressure on both sides of the aisle for President Trump to come out and do something about this, whether it's uh, lessening trade with Saudi Arabia or doing something to punish them for killing this guy. And again, I'm not privy to all the information. I don't think anybody really is. So we can't really speculate. I'm willing to bet, though, that they did it. Saudi Arabia has been an an oppressive regime for... 60 years, as long as we've known them, done business with them. And the primary reason we started doing business with them in the first place is because when Israel was formed in the 1940s, they were one of the few Middle Eastern countries that agreed to ally with them and help to defend them in the event that a lot of their neighbors decided to try and invade. So essentially what we've had going on is a trade arrangement where we send money and weapons to Saudi Arabia. They send back oil and money. So that's kind of how the transaction history works with us in Saudi Arabia over the past 60, 70 years. So since that's the case, and since there's been a lot of pressure, you know, you got Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, people who have, you know, really stepped up during the the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, uh, talking about how it's terrible what the Democratic members of the committee, as well as Christine Blasey Ford, and a lot of these unsubstantiated claims coming forward were doing to this poor guy who, let's be honest, constitutionally speaking, he's not a constitutional conservative, he completely lied about that, but that wasn't really covered because of the sexual harassment allegations and and these gang rape claims. Uh, So they really stepped up, they went on national television, they made some very cogent points that was nice to see a Republican other than Donald Trump showing some backbone when the mainstream media and the left in general is going off the rails on something that quite frankly never occurred and didn't exist. But since then, there have been events like this one where a lot of Republicans have kind of jumped off the Trump train, and this is one of those issues. So 
I think that there is a pretty clear way that we could continue to have a positive relationship with Saudi Arabia, but kind of condone, condemn them at the same time for killing Khashoggi. Now, Khashoggi was not an American citizen. I believe he was here on a work visa. He did write for, I think it was the Washington Post and some other publications here. So he technically lived here and did business here and worked here. But again, he wasn't an American citizen. He had been very very uh, derogatory towards the crown prince, and, and for good reason. Again, an oppressive regime as somebody from the Middle East, he can definitely call that out and tell it for what it is here in America, where there is freedom of speech contrary to a lot of popular opinion. So I think a great way that President Trump can kill two birds with one stone war, he can condemn Saudi Arabia and appease people on both sides of the aisle, but also not completely screw over our relationship with them, because again, they're one of Israel's main military defenses in the region and allies in a region where, quite frankly, still to this day, they're not really liked. So it's important to keep them on board. And President Trump came out and he said it, and I think he put his foot in his mouth a little bit with his statement, but he did talk about this when uh, a reporter asked him about this, I believe it was about a week ago. And he essentially came out and he told the truth in that, yes, it's terrible. Uh, he said again, and again, we're not all privy to all of the information that while the CIA believes that the crown prince and his regime had a lot to do with, or if not, they were completely behind the killing of Khashoggi, that there wasn't really, uh, there wasn't really definitive proof. And it wasn't enough anyway to completely boot their relationship out the door. I'm in 100% agreement. We've been in the Middle East for far too long. I'm going to go into this on another day. But we've, we've had many soldiers killed. I have a client who was paralyzed in Iraq for nothing. <laughs> we went there for nothing. We went there to go after terrorists and small insurgents who hid in the mountains, knew the terrain much better than we did. It's really tragic what's been going on there. It's something that we need to get out of. But getting back to this particular situation, we need to maintain our relationship with Saudi Arabia. And a way we can do that is, all right, they're an oppressive regime, and they've neglected a lot of their people for a long time. They're probably behind the killing of Khashoggi. They've done a bunch of other things over the course of our relationship with them that have been terrible that we've swept under the rug because of their willingness to ally with Israel and our trade relationship. So for starters, the whole thing about oil, which Trump even mentioned in his comments, is BS. And the reason that's BS is because the United States gets most of its gas and oil from the United States and from Canada. So we get most of that domestically, or at least in North America. It's a heck of a lot cheaper to ship and to distribute and manufacture this domestically, and even in Canada, than it is to do so in the Middle East. So that's always an excuse that lawmakers on both sides utilize that is complete and utter nonsense, that is not true. So stop saying that we need to continue to do trade with them on the basis of oil. We've given them way too much power, the Middle East in general, way too much power in terms of the price of gas and oil, and we need to do something about that. Now, I'm not saying that we need to regarding this. We do, like I said, send a lot of weapons to the Saudi regime. And again, it's a very oppressive regime, and they're probably behind the killing of Khashoggi. So as a way to slap them on the wrist, but to continue to maintain our partnership with them, we can continue to trade oil in exchange for money and maybe find some other goods and services that we can mutually benefit from. But we don't send them weapons. Say, look, what you did to Khashoggi is terrible. The way you treat your people is terrible. And as a result, we cannot condone the trade with a country that morally we don't see eye to eye on. Now, you have 
products, goods, services, mainly money and oil that are beneficial to us as a nation. So we're going to send money your way. We're going to continue to trade oil with you. We're going to continue to keep our your alliance with you so that we can help protect Israel, which obviously Trump is one of the most pro-Israel presidents we've ever had, if not the most pro-Israel president we've ever had. And we're not, we're just not going to trade weapons with you. That may not be forever. It may be a six month sanction. It may be a year, but I think that way you appease people on both sides of the aisle. You continue to keep up this important partnership. It's a win-win. I don't understand why so many things when it comes to legislation, when it comes to trade negotiations, it has to be black or white. The tariff situation is terrible. Uh, it's, it's a bad policy. Trump's will leave this since day one, one of the few um, instances in terms of his political agenda where I believe he's actually been 100% transparent and stayed on this point in terms of needing to win the trade wars. It's doing nothing but hurting Americans. I wrote an article earlier this week on our website, EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com, about GM and how it's reducing its North American workforce, both here and in Canada, shutting down a few plants because the plants that produce a lot of their sedans and smaller cars, those cars aren't selling. So therefore, those plants and the folks who are helping to operate and run those plants aren't necessary to their bottom line. We build them out in 08, you know, George W. Bush did at the very end of his presidency. I understand that it's a hot button issue for a lot of people who feel that they can go to these major corporations, work their 20, 30, 40 years, get the gold watch and retire with a nice pension and benefits and all that. That's not the reality we live in. Technology is advancing so rapidly that people believe that in the next 10 to 20 years, Nobody's really going to own a car. Things like Uber and Lyft, they're going to own fleets of self-driving cars that we'll be able to subscribe to for a fee on a monthly basis, and then we can schedule just like we would if we're in a city or in a part of the country that we're not familiar with, and rather than renting a car, we take those services. But in any event, getting back, I believe that we can come to a resolution that mutually benefits both sides, and that way, you appease the people on the right and the left that are calling for the Saudis' heads when it comes to what they've done to Khashoggi, who is not an American citizen. And then you can also maintain your trade relationship with Saudi Arabia by sanctioning them in a certain regard. At least you could do it under the table. There's a lot of shady things that the government's dealings do, especially when it comes to the military-industrial complex. So I'm sure they can still get weapons to the Saudis without directly showing that they're giving weapons to the Saudis. For instance, they can send them to Israel and then give them to the Saudis. And, you know, unless people are really watching and following the money, which, if you look at the federal budget, <clears throat> is damn near impossible, then... You know, you can still maintain your trade relationship and that and make it look like you're standing up for Khashoggi, you're standing up for what senators on both sides of the aisle believe in, and yet you maintain your relationship. So that was my take on that. I thought that was very interesting. I want to talk about one last thing today, and that is how California just came out a lot of this study. I have a lot of figures for you, which are very interesting because we're the only state behind California in terms of least amount of economic freedom. And there was a blue wave in New York state. Uh, some of the very few Republican legislators at the state and local levels, many of them were upended. So we have an even bluer state legislature than we normally do, which does not bode well for New York state taxpayers, for our property tax, for sales tax, for employment laws, and a whole bunch of other things, uh, which we won't get into yet. We don't know what they're going to do yet, but if you look at the trend in the direction that they were heading in, even prior to these elections, 
then we can pretty much ascertain that it's not going to be beneficial to us. But California, the, again, the only state that ranks lower than us in terms of economic freedom, is the poorest state in the union, despite having the fifth largest economy for any nation or state in the world. So I'll say that again. And it's, it's kind of complex, so I'm going to break down the numbers so that you understand it better. California is the poorest state in the union, despite having the fifth largest economy for any nation or state in the world. Now, reason being Silicon Valley, there are sectors and, and parts of California that are very high income, like Silicon Valley, got Apple, Google, Microsoft, whole bunch of companies located in that region, many other apps and tech startups that you probably haven't heard of that are raking it in. And, and quite honestly, that's why there's a lot of money in California. But unfortunately, despite that, 90%, 19, 19% of their residents live in poverty, which is 25% higher than the national average. That's not good. So nearly one in five Californians live in poverty, despite having the fifth largest economy in the world. So the left, and California is one of the most leftist states in the union. In fact, like I said, they're the only state that ranks lower than us in terms of economic freedom in the union. And, and we like to go back and forth with them. So they've elected a lot of socialists into their state and local legislatures. They've enacted a lot of socialist policies dealing with human feces, uh, in the streets of even nice big cities like San Francisco. They're handing out hypodermic needles to hobos. They're not incentivizing them to clean it up, to get jobs. They're instead you know, paying people $184,000 a year to clean shit off the sidewalks. I'm not joking. This is, a, this is a real thing. They're allocating, I think it was $100 million in just San Francisco alone to pay to clean up crap. And they're paying the crap cleaners $184,000 a year, paying millions upon millions in cleaning supplies in order to get the crap off the sidewalks. It's just, these policies don't work. And it's evident by, yes, fifth largest economy in the world in a very small subset of the state in the population. Meanwhile, nearly one in five Californians are living in poverty, which is 25% higher than the national average. Not good. One third of Americans... I'm sorry, one third of the Americans that are on welfare live in California. So 33% of Americans who are on welfare live in California, despite California only having 12% of the nation's population. That, that's crazy. <laughs> Those numbers, they just stand out at you. So again, one third of Americans on welfare are in California. All right despite California only having 12% of the nation's population. So, despite them not even having 20% of the nation's population, over a third of the nation's uh, welfare recipients are from California. Not good. I've talked about the human feces. I have notes here, so that's what I'm going through. And then, the highest sales tax in America is, you guessed it, also in California. 7.25% sales tax in California, which is not good. We're not far behind here in New York State. So this is something to watch. The only state that legislates bluer than we are, they're kind of in the crapper. The only reason there's any saving grace is because of tech giants like Apple and Google being located in Silicon Valley and you know bumping out a bunch of extremely high-paying jobs. Also, private sector employees based in California would have to save $2.6 million dollars 
$2.6 million they would have to save by the time they retire in order to receive the same type of retirement benefits and pension as a public highway patrol officer. Now again, we support our troops, we support our cops, we support a lot of local workers, especially the ones who work in law enforcement. That being said, if someone works in the private sector and they're making quadruple or five times what a highway patrol officer is making, they are taxed so much in comparison to anybody who works for the government that it's more than negligible. In fact, like I just said, they have to save nearly $3 million just to be able to have a similar retirement to someone who worked for the government and made a heck of a lot less over a much shorter career. Often with government jobs, you can retire early and receive all these benefits. That's assuming that your pension fund and all these other things don't go up, which happens all the time to teachers unions and different types of unions all around the country, especially ones that are government-based. So what's the moral of the story? We're New York residents. We did not show up at the last election at all. We did not show up. The closest race we had for any really important race was the governorship. And Mark Molinaro lost by over a million votes. That is unacceptable. We can't not show up. 70% of New Yorkers do not vote. Why? Because they think it's in the bag. They think every year the state is going to continue to get bluer and bluer. They're going to continue to neglect people in central, western, eastern, upstate New York, only care about people who live in and around the city, and that's it. That is absolutely not true. As Evan and I have pointed out on multiple episodes, there are over 4 million gun owners. Even if you're a one-policy voter, there are 4 million gun owners in New York State. So... If 4 million, I don't even think there were 4 million votes cast in New York State for the governorship and some other statewide races. So if we all got out and we voted red because we don't want the SAFE Act to remain in effect, they're working on a SAFE Act too, which is going to be even more restrictive to gun owners, which is going to make a lot of people who are law-abiding citizens who just want to own guns, whether it's for sport or for protection, that's going to make them criminals overnight. Larry Sharp said this all the time. It is so true. So what we need to do as New Yorkers in 2020, which is the next really big election, we do have some local elections coming up, but what we need to do is we need to get out and vote. And we need to vote these guys out of the state legislature, out of our local politics before they do too much damage. They have a couple of years really to enact terrible policies. But if we vote them out in 2020, then guess what happens? Then we can roll back their terrible policies and institute good and beneficial conservative policies that will benefit not just us as conservatives, but all of our neighbors, left, right, anywhere in between. This is extremely important. We cannot go the route of California and other states in the North in the West, especially the Pacific Northwest, places like Oregon and Portland, where the cops are standing down, letting Antifa kind of run the show when other groups, especially conservative groups, come in to either do, you know, a protest or just you know, a meetup. You know, they're letting thugs run things. They're being told by the mayor and by the heads of police to stand down and not protect anybody. You know, this is unacceptable. We can't let our state turn into what's happening on the West Coast, especially in California, where I just read off all those statistics. So please, 
continue to tune in, continue to watch, continue to keep yourself educated and up to date on local, state, and federal issues. And Justin will be coming at you tomorrow with his latest episode. So if you guys enjoyed the show, you're going to hear Evan's voice coming up. Evan will be back with us by the week's end, hopefully. Uh, he is unfortunately mourning the loss of his stepfather who succumbed to pancreatic cancer actually one week ago today. So thoughts and prayers from the comments below if you watch this all the way through. But um, he's going to list off where you can find us. But for that, I'm Pete. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Emperor State Conservative Network podcast. We'll come back at you tomorrow. Have a great rest of the day, everyone. Evan with Empire State Conservatives Network. Just a reminder to check us out on our website at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com or Patreon at Patreon.com slash EmpireStateConservativeNetwork. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash EmpireStateConservatives. On Twitter at EmpireStateCons. Instagram at GetRedPilledNY. And on YouTube. Make sure that if you like our stuff to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.